0: Psalm thirty seven. And really, this Psalm has been characterized more like a proverb than a psalm. It's a long psalm. It's the second longest psalm that we have confronted so far since Psalm 1. And it's very difficult to outline because of that. You've got 40 verses, and they they read like proverbs. Uh, here, here's the big idea. How do we respond when evil seems to win? Because that's what Psalm 37 is going to press into. When evil seems to win, when wicked people seem to prosper, how do Christians, how should Christians respond? I'm sure some of you have had the experience of watching your child play sports against an unusually mean and dirty player. Have you ever had that experience? Watch that from the sidelines? Hopefully it's not your child that's the mean and dirty player, right? Um, I've had that experience several times. Um, he keeps getting away with it. He, keeps, he, he just keeps these foul shots or he keeps breaking the rules. What do you feel in your heart when that happens? Because I can almost guarantee you as a parent, you're not neutral. I know some of you. You're not like silent, quiet, resolve, oh, it's just a game. No, we don't do that. No, that's, that's against my child. Do you have any opinions about the referee or the coaches? It is a rare person who would remain emotionally neutral. The same thing happens when our favorite professional sports team is scored against, and it's clear that either the umpire or the referee failed to make a clear call that would have prevented our team's loss, especially during a playoff game. How do you feel when that happens? And we could explain that away and say this. It's only a game. Okay, so, so let's shift gears. How do you feel when you know corrupt lawyers... And sleazy politicians keep getting away with their obvious lies and their blatant contradictions and the consistent disregard for justice. How do you feel when those same lawyers let, let known, the facts stack up against known murderers and human traffickers, they allow them to walk free because they either paid the right price or had the right argument with the right judge? Or how do you feel this morning that members of Boko Haram who kidnapped those Nigerian schoolgirls seem to have gotten away with their crimes and they woke up this morning and they made a fresh cup of hot tea and no justice seems to be enacted? See, we're supposed to feel something, aren't we? We're supposed to have a response And Psalm 37 will help us navigate life when evil seems to win. Because here, here's the problem. It does seem like evil is winning, doesn't it? In many, in, in many venues of life, not just individually, but corporately, it feels like evil seems to be winning. And the psalm is an instructional poem using numerous proverbial sayings to explore two major themes. That's going to be our outline. Just two big points. Here's the first major theme. The problem of the apparent prosperity of the wicked. And that is a real problem. It's not a reality distortion. It is a very real problem that wicked people seem to be prospering. And secondly, the need for believers to trust God's justice and fairness. And that's a real difficulty in light of the real problem, isn't it? Why keep trusting God when evil people uh, seem to keep prospering? Notice the connection. You've opened up to Psalm 37. Look at the last verse of Psalm 36. The last verse of Psalm 36, verse 12, says this. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. And then chronologically, Psalm 37 then seems to be an expansion of that picture. How do we live life? How do we respond until that reality happens, until the evil are done? Until they can no longer inflict harm, until they can no longer prosper. How are we supposed to wait? So the tension that surfaces is clear. And here it is. It's something we don't normally say out loud. Is the reward that God promises worth waiting for? Because when you read this and and, and the psalmist will say things like, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, is that true? Is that is that in, in, in the moment true? And I'm going to say it's not true. There are times when the righteous do seem forsaken, when they are forgotten in this life. So that's the tension. Because because honestly, I think if we're if we if we're open and transparent as believers, some days it doesn't seem worth it to be godly or to obey scripture. So how do we respond? Here's the outline. Number one, and you need we need this point. The wicked will be cut off. That's that's point one and cut off is a severe statement. And then secondly, those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land and land is a big idea, but it's an idea that escapes us as we live here in a big city with mortgages. We don't really understand the concept of land. So the wicked will be cut off and those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. OK, the evildoers will be cut off the, this, this phrase and the reason it's the first main point of the outline is that it is repeated five different times in Psalm 37. And it really functions like bold or italic for emphasis. And it is the promise that evildoers will be cut off. I want, I want you to look at this. I want you to look in your scriptures at each reference. Look at verse nine, Psalm 37. And when I stop reading, I want, you to, I want you to read the next words, okay? For the evildoers shall be cut off. Look at verse 22. Those cursed by him shall be cut off. Verse 28. And again, you notice that was a harder one because I'm not reading the beginning part of the verse. Verse 28, the second part of the verse. The children of the wicked shall be what? Cut off. Look at verse 34. The wicked are, again, cut off. And then look at verse 38. Transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be what? Cut off five times. That's the bold emphasis. That's sort of your chapter markings. He keeps coming back to this theme so you don't miss it. And then... We don't typically think of it this way, but there is hope. God intends for you and I to receive hope in his determined retribution. We're supposed to receive hope in knowing five times here that really evil people aren't getting away with their crimes. That really, in the big picture, the wicked are not truly prospering. Look at verse 2. Immediately, the psalmist paints this image. Verse 2. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. You know, with similar wording, Proverbs 24, verse 20 says this. The evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So even though the wicked person, the evil person's lamp gives off a temporary flicker, ultimately and eternally he will be snuffed out. And those images are supposed to provide you hope. So when you stand back, and there's going to be two responses when we see evil people prospering, and the psalmist is going to lean into that for you. When you stand back and you see a wicked person prospering, here's what you're supposed to learn five times. That has an expiration date. Jeffrey Epstein, his prospering had an expiration date. So when you stand back, that's what the psalmist is allowing you to see. It's almost like he has zoomed you in. Okay, now don't fret when they prosper. And then he zooms you out with a lens and you're like, oh, okay, now I see it. It's going to end. Now, you can study this psalm for yourself and you can get a detailed description of the wicked and their actions. For instance, he carries out evil devices. He plots against the righteous. He uses weapons to bring down the poor and the needy. But for our purpose this, this morning, I want, I want to note the two warnings. Connected to the idea that the wicked will be cut off. Or in a question, how are we to respond when evil seems to win? Look at the first the first words. The first warning is don't fret. Three times we are told to fret not. Now the Hebrew root translated don't fret is only used four times. And three of those times it is in Psalm 37. The other time it is used, it's identical wording in Proverbs 24 verse 19, which communicates the same idea, it says, "And if you look at verse one of Psalm 37, I will read Proverbs 24:19: "Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked." Do you know that God knows our tendency to focus on others and get heated? That's what the word fret means. It means to glow or grow warm. Some translators have used, have taken that Hebrew root and they have simply put it as don't worry, which isn't inaccurate, but it fails in the force of what the Hebrew word word means. It means to get heated from anger or jealousy. It means to fly into a passion. It means to burn with displeasure, to grow hot and be incensed. And some of you, that's how you respond when you see evil people prospering. And there is a righteous anger, but remember what James says don't let the sun go down on your what? Or, or Paul says this in Ephesians. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, even on your righteous indignation. Settle it, because even a righteous anger will spoil and turn evil. People get heated over politics, they fret. Now, this is different than godly people who have a sincere interest and an appropriate responsibility and involvement. But people who are incensed and always talking about it and mulling over it and burning, do you know that they're out of bounds? You are supposed to not fret. Look at verse 1. Let's look at all three usages. Verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Look at verse 7. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Look at verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Here it is again. Fret not yourself. It tends only to what? Evil. Do you know that your wrong response to evil will only multiply evil? Your sinful fretting about politics and about the oppo- the opposition party or about this certain rule that's coming down, may only be multiplying evil. It is not possible for you to know with complete knowledge all the evil in the world. Let alone to have the power to mete out justice for every single wicked infraction. Now we're responsible in our sphere of life. We accept the fact though, that there is more evil in this world than we can change. Do you understand that? Do you understand that you fretting about all the evil in the world does not stop the evil in the world? Even God flooded the world because, as Genesis 6-5 says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See, God does have perfect knowledge. God fully understands what is going on in every single person's heart. All the way down into their motives because he has all knowledge. The big theological word is omniscience. And he has all power, and the theological word for that is omnipotence. Do you know? And we've talked about this before. I don't want to know everything about everyone. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I knew everything about five of you. I don't want to know everything about five of you or one of you. You know why? Because I don't have the power to change your heart. I don't want to have that kind of knowledge without the kind of power to change your heart. Keep this reality in front of your mind, this agricultural image that Psalm 37 paints. Look at verse 20. This is why we don't have to fret, but the wicked will perish the enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. It seems to be referring to an uncontrolled grass fire that, that sweeps in right when the farmer's crops or his flocks are at their maturity when they look brilliant. And in the snap of a finger, they're gone because a fire suddenly sweeps through. And God is saying, you don't need to fret because evil people will be like that. They will, they will, they will be destroyed. This is why Proverbs 20:22 20, 22 says, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Or as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12:19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Here's the other thing we don't know because we're limited creatures. We don't know how much wicked, evil people are suffering when they try to put their head on their pillow at night. We have no idea the wheels that God puts into motion in people's minds because their consciences are accusing them. We can also take comfort in this beautiful fact. Jesus knows all things without anyone informing Him. Jesus knows everything about me. See, Satan doesn't have to make up things about me to accuse me before God. He can simply tell the truth. He doesn't have to make up things about you. He's probably got enough. Satan has enough within the last seven days to collect and, with truthful facts, accuse you before God without twisting a single one of them. And so the beauty of this is, as John records in John chapter 1, Nathanael said to Jesus, Listen, listen to his words. He, Nathanael, here's one of the disciples, looking at Jesus, he says, How do you know me? Jesus said, Well, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. In the next chapter, John records in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part, listen to this. Jesus, on his part, did not entrust entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Don't fret. God knows everything. Everything. God's economy is on track. God's world is under His scrutiny. God still sets down one king and replaces him with another. God's world is under His scrutiny, His justice, and His care. And Jesus knows everything about everyone. So even when evil seems to be winning, don't fret. Trust in God. Here's the second warning. Look at verse 1. Be not envious of wrongdoers. So we're told not to fret. But then we are also told not to envy. Do you know, some people, rather than get getting heated about evil people prospering, here's their response: Rather than being incensed by that, they envy it, and they're tempted to cast off godly, righteous living to actually get the benefit that evil people seem to be getting. I'm sure that some people envied the 30 pieces of silver, which was a large amount. That Judas made with a simple agreement. I will betray one man to you. And he got paid like that. But don't desire Judas's 30 pieces of silver, his immediate financial success, unless you also want to be cut off, one of the big themes of Psalm 37, like Judas was. Because learning that after Judas had been paid, or after Judas was paid, He had learned that they were going to crucify Jesus. He had thrown. He tried to return the money. They would not accept it. He threw it into the temple. And what did he do? He went out. After this immediate success, he did what? He went out and he hung himself. He committed suicide by hanging himself. See, before you start to envy the wicked who are prospering, pan the camera back and look at the entire life. Never judge a person by a single episode but look at the entire series and look at their end. That's what Psalm 37 is forcing us to do. Look at the end of these people's lives. They're going to be cut off five different times, it says that. So two applications when evil seems to be winning. Do not fret and do not envy. So when evil people seem to be winning, because sometimes they actually do in the moment. One of the two themes woven throughout this psalm that we must remember is that the wicked, no matter how successful they may appear now, no matter how much they seem to be getting away with now, they will be cut off. Now, here's the second part, the second part of the outline. Beyond these warnings, how does the psalm then instruct us to positively counteract the fretting and the envying? And here's the second major theme or Roman numeral two or the second big idea. Those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. The wicked will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Matter of fact, in all five instances where it says that the wicked will be cut off, in four of those, it is always coupled with that wording. I want you to look at these statements. Look at verse 9. you You'd be familiar with the first part. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Look at verse 22. Those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Look at verses 28 and 29. The children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. And look at verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Do you see how those are all coupled together. The wicked will be cut off, but then those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. So what's the big deal about land? That means very little to us. Most of us are still paying for a little piece of land that the bank still owns, right? So what's the big deal about land? Well, it means more than finally paying off your mortgage and now that, that, that little quarter of an acre is finally yours. Okay, this goes back to Old Testament thinking, Old Testament imagery. It actually goes all the way back to Abraham, where God enters into a covenant, an agreement with Abraham. And part of that agreement, a big part of that agreement, is that Abraham will receive land. And he's not received it yet. So the bigger idea, not just land, and not just generations spawning from Abraham, it, the idea is that God will keep his promise. Those who wait for the Lord will realize God is keeping His promise. And for the Old Testament thinking, that meant the land. Joshua in the conquest, the Canaanites were cut off. They were rooted out of the land. They'd been living there. They were evicted by God. And the Israelites then took up residence. They inherited the land. So what does that look like for us? Well, for believers, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in a new city. And I want you to feel the tension because the writer of Hebrews actually speaks into this tension. In Hebrews 11, listen to what he says. And I want you to, count, I want you to be shocked by the wording. These all died in faith. Remember, this is the same chapter where some individuals were sawn in two or thrown to lions. These all died in faith. Here's the surprise. Not having received the things promised. So you expect it to say, they died in faith, but they got the promise. It doesn't say that. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But listen, it goes on. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, having looked far into the future and have seen the promises, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak like this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Land. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better, if you feel the direction of this, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, land still matters and those who wait For the Lord, wait on the Lord, will inherit the land. So as we wait for God to work, and this is we're pushing into the conclusion here, as we wait for God to work, to act, to reward, to create all things new, to bring us to that land, how are we to wait? I've just gathered a few of the principles that I want you to look at with me. First, live with an awareness of God's sovereign rule. This is is a mindset of, of having a big picture of all of life so verse one evildoers will fade verse 10 in just a little while the wicked will be no more verse 13 the lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming and the positive turn on that verse 18 the lord knows the days of the blameless live with an awareness of god's sovereign role he does know everything and he has the power to change it secondly trust in the lord look at verse three Trust in the Lord, and while you're trusting, do what? And do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Look at verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust Him. There it is again. And He will act. See, God is not passive. We accuse Him of being passive. We accuse Him of being indifferent. And sometimes, reverently, that's okay because Habakkuk did that. Remember that? In the little three chapters of Habakkuk, he is accusing God for being indifferent, for not caring about evil in the world. But the truth is, he is active. He's not passive. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. As we wait, we trust in God, as James 4.6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, and, and I want you to capture the tenses of these two verbs God opposes the proud. The idea is God is right now in this moment opposing proud people in a way that you can't. And he is right now giving grace to the humble right now to the humble person. He is actively in the moment giving grace. Live with an awareness of God's sovereign rule. Trust in the Lord. Look at the third principle. Delight in the Lord. Find sweet satisfaction in God's character in God's ways, in God's word. And this really does counteract envy. Rather than envying what others have, delight in what you already have, in God, in His person. What does that look like? Well, joy, peace, contentment. Look at verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked Look at verse 23. The steps of a good man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. It's interesting. As we delight in God, verse 4, He delights in us, verse 23. Fourth, be still and wait, which is the opposite of fretting. Look at verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently For him, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of you have put this to memory. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways. The idea is recognized by seeing him in the moment. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He's right there in the moment. Just like with Daniel, he was right there in the lion's den. He recognized as if God was right there because he is. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Here's the fifth. Principle. Interpret isolated instances in light of the whole. at verse 25. The psalmist says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Remember, we already tapped into that and we said that's not fully true, is it? I want to read to you from the NIV commentary where the commentator says this. These words should not be interpreted to mean a naive assumption that the righteous never hurt. Or suffer want to the contrary, the whole psalm and much of canonical wisdom literature respond to the reality of the righteous suffering and the inexplicable prosperity of the wicked. In a sense, what the psalmist reports is not naive unreality, but listen to this, but an inner vision of the true reality that accords with Yahweh's character and purpose, the reality that must ultimately arrive. So the psalm again keeps pointing us to an end time where all these things are maybe not temporarily true, but are ultimately true. Look at verse 37. That also points that direction. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future. See, they're not cut off, there is a future for the man of peace. And sixth, simply and finally, do good. Look at verse 27. Turn away from evil and do good. Well, taking a philosophy of education course during my university studies, I was introduced, I'd never been introduced to it before, to the parable of the blind men and an elephant. And it's written by John Godfrey Sachs, and it's the story of six blind men from India who have never come across an elephant before, and so they're invited to touch one spot on the elephant And then give a description. I want to read that to you because the idea here is that each man becomes very dogmatic about this little piece of elephant that they get to experience. It was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl. God bless me, but the elephant is nothing but a wall. The second feeling of the tusk cried, "Ho! Oh, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp to me 'tis his mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands. I see quoth he the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough, the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said, Even the blindest man can tell what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth, the no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. We tend to judge God that way, don't we? This little piece of life we put our hand up against. And we come away sometimes with harsh judgments against God for the way He's running His world. Or unfair criticisms that He's letting evil get a free pass. Or we feel another part of life and and we, we wrongly conclude that God doesn't care and that God is not just. Psalm 37 is about waiting and patience and trust And keeping the long view of reward and punishment. But perhaps the greatest question that I think we should ask at the end of Psalm 37, before we sing our final hymn of response, is this. Why, if you being a sinner, right, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why, if you being evil, why are you not cut off? Why are the descriptions, the five descriptions of being cut off, not why are they not talking about you? And the answer is simple. Because Jesus, the suffering servant, Messiah, was cut off for you. Listen to Isaiah 53, verse 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? It was our sin that was laid on him. So that rather than us being cut off, We are brought near to God by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 521 says this for our sake. He made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That is why you are not cut off. Therefore, we wait without fretting and without envy. And we wait and we trust in a God who is worthy. He is trustworthy, worthy of our trust. I want to invite our music team forward. We're going to sing together, Mighty to Save. And as they get in place, I just want to read the last two verses of Psalm 37. If you have your scriptures open or the scriptures open on a device, I want to invite you to look at these two verses. The salvation, verse 39, Psalm 37. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them. And delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in Him. Are you fretting? Well, confess that to the Lord and ask His help to trust and wait. Are you envious? Confess that to the Lord and ask for His help to nurture true, godly contentment in your heart. Let's pray.